Hello, everyone. This is Shannon Morgan, and you are listening to episode 19 of Sound Mind, a place to openly discuss the struggles in our minds, including mental health, trauma, addiction, and more. I'm not a counselor, and this podcast is not meant to replace professional therapy, more like somewhere you can go to find connection and learn how other people's experiences can aid in your own journey. Speaking of which, I work in the field of behavioral health as a peer and youth support specialist. Working with both adults and children, I share my lived experience with mental illness, trauma, and addiction in order to connect with clients and help them see that they are not alone, helping them to share their own story, set goals, build hope, and live more self-directed, purpose-filled lives. And that is the spirit I'm bringing to this podcast. The website for SoundMind is soundmindpodcast.com. There you will find social networks, learn more about guests, and where you can leave a comment or send me an email. And I would love to hear from you, especially if you'd like to be a guest on the show or you have a reaction to an episode. Now, on to today's guest. Jamie Gamble is a 29-year-old jack-of-all-trades living in the middle of nowhere, Oregon. She's currently a CNA in a skilled nursing facility, has worked in journalism, and has had more customer service jobs than she can count. Jamie still considers herself a person under construction. Diagnosed with depression and ADHD in her early 20s after failing out of college for the first time, she's working on rebuilding an emotional connection with herself and unpacking the effects of a tumultuous upbringing. And with that, let's meet Jamie. Awesome. It's so good to talk to you. Yeah, I haven't heard your voice in ages. It's, been, <laughs> it's literally been a decade, hasn't it? It has been a whole decade. Like, Holy almost cow. exactly. Time flies. It sure does when you're having fun. Mm -hmm. Well, I know Jamie from way back when I was editor in chief of the Arbiter and she worked for me as a journalist. But Jamie, can you introduce yourself to the listeners? Uh, yeah, my name is Jamie. Uh, I use she, her pronouns. Um, I, I guess I'm here to talk about uh, my mental health journey air quotes I, don't know. I, I have a, I have feelings about the word journey um, <laughs> but yeah um i'm not really in journalism anymore um because journalism with adhd is actually hell i think we'll get into that later yes <laughs> um <laughs> and uh right now i am i've been married for uh 10 years uh, we have, uh, uh, we live in uh, the middle of nowhere, basically, in a small town, like less than 2,000 people, a couple of dogs, a cat, and um, a uh, roommate who's also kind of like our adopted kid, like they're an adult, but they're basically our kid. That's how it goes with pets. No, no. Um, uh, this one, the last one's a person. Oh, the last one's a person. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, Casey. No. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, that, that, that's been a recent development. We kind of um, took them in out of a, uh, a bad home situation that I'm not really at liberty to get into uh, earlier this year. And so they've been, um, you know, we've been sort of, supporting them through their own mental health recovery, as well as uh, a certain degree of physical recovery. Well, my best to them. Yeah. Should we dive right in? Let's do it. Where do you want to start? Well, let's talk about um, how you grew up and how that's impacted your mental health throughout the years. 
Okay. Uh, so I would generally characterize my upbringing as not terribly stable. Um, you know, we, we moved a lot. Um, my mom was actually very recently, like within the last couple of months, uh, diagnosed with uh, bipolar disorder, which, oh my God, that explains so much. Yeah. And both my parents, uh, after I was, after all three of us kids, I'm the oldest, after all three of us had moved out, uh, both my parents have ended up diagnosed with ADHD and they're like, oh, well, that explains it. And I'm like, yeah, do I get an apology now or what? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, we moved around a lot. Uh, You know, there were lots of harebrained schemes, failed businesses, uh, times with just absolutely no money. there was at least a, a couple weeks period, uh, period of time when I was about 12, 13, where we were actually homeless. I uh, had our U-Haul parked out from my aunt's house when we were sleeping on her couches. Uh, well, must have had an uh, impact on you. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I definitely have sort of um, issues with... Um, I mean, in part, I didn't have stability modeled. So while like that's something that I very much find myself craving, I'm not very good at it either. It's something that I've sort of had to learn myself as an adult through trial and error, mm-hmm. uh, which is it's an interesting process uh, to sort of be like, oh, this is what my parents did, and that's why it just doesn't work. Uh, you know, actually, recently, my mom has also seen uh, some of my uh, you know, question about my mental health and about, you know, depression, anxiety, all that sort of thing, uh, that I've sort of made a deliberate choice to try to be public with on Facebook. Um, and she's been trying to get me to move back to Boise, uh, because she has moved back to Boise. And I'm like, yeah, maybe you're not the best person to give me advice about when is a good time to move and how that's good for your mental health or not. Cause she's very much, um, very much an impulsive uh, person, uh, mm-hmm. very much would sort of carry the whole family along on her manic episodes. Mm-hmm. You know, just up and move, sell the house, move up to a whole new state, try to buy a business and then get scammed and end up falling back and, uh, you know, starting over with nothing. You know, I was like 13 at the time. Yeah. I have a lot of empathy. A lot of empathy for that. I didn't get diagnosed bipolar until I was 36, 34 years old. So I went all that time without knowing, and so many things I I would have done differently had I had medication and and help, but I didn't have it. So I got a little yeah, for sure. And you know, it's it's very much not um, not a a judgmental perspective I have. Oh sure, Uh, just just a matter of. you know, I, I guess I try to be realistic about it and not put my parents on a pedestal, but also not, you know, throw them down either mm-hmm. the way some people do after a tumultuous upbringing. Uh, you know, because I feel like people go one of two ways a lot of times. They'll either keep their parents on a pedestal or pick one parent to put on a pedestal after a divorce, or they'll just decide that their parents are awful and, right. uh, you know, horrible and just ruined everything. And I've known some people for whom that's very much literally what happened, but I think in my case, it's more a matter of, you know, especially with my mom, she tried her best and mm-hmm. she had a lot of her own baggage that she was dealing with or rather not really dealing with. 
Yeah, I always look at mental health as it's not an excuse, but it's an explanation. So when yeah. you have those like horrible things that happen in childhood, because I have them too, where, you know, I was really angry at my parents for a long time. But after a while, I'm like, wait a minute, if I apply the same kindness I give myself to them, maybe I can heal this um, pain that I have and maybe I can have a relationship with them now. Yeah, um, you know, there's a lot of alcohol involved in my childhood too, which makes it's a whole extra layer tricky oh, yeah. uh, to deal with. And then um, in particular, I think the roughest years uh, were my, my teenage years immediately following my parents' divorce. They actually um, announced their divorce on Christmas when oh, I was no. like 15. <laughs> oh, wow. After, after arguing about a dead lizard. <laughs> It's a whole story. Um, but yeah, so sort of what, what happened, and this, this is what I consider to be sort of, I don't know, I guess my, my main childhood trauma, I guess you could call it. And for a long time, I was skittish about using the word trauma because I'm like, you know, I've never been beaten or, you know, physically or sexually abused. Mm-hmm. You know, I've never had near-death experiences. Can I call that trauma? But I've sort of come to the conclusion of, yes, trauma takes many forms and it's not helpful to anyone to, you know, play who has it worse or, you know, gatekeep that word from other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, tangent, sorry. About that. Um, back on track, you know, I was, um, I was the oldest sibling. Uh, I was tasked from a pretty young age with being in a caregiving role for my younger siblings. I had my first mental breakdown about it at about age eight. Um, and uh, it just sort of escalated in my teen years, you know, and it was always a sort of moving goalpost. Like I would, you know, when I first wanted to get a job when I was 15, it was, oh, you know, if, you're, if your grades don't keep up, then you can't keep having your job. And then as soon as I had been working for a little bit, it was, you better make sure you always have a job. Like, you know, if I was unemployed, I was being pressured to go find work. Even when I was in school, doing high school, school newspaper, um, doing theater and, um, you know, working and driving my siblings to their different schools. Because at the time, all three of us went to different schools. I was the one tasked with driving everyone around. I was oh, the one wow. to their extracurriculars. Uh, I was also occasionally the designated driver for when my dad had too much to drink downtown. So you're like the uh, taxi of the family. Yeah. But then anytime I asked for five bucks for gas, it was this whole like sigh and, you know, you know, we're really broken. Things are really tight. Right. You know, I actually once um, got fired from a job at a pizza place because I had to borrow my dad's credit card in order to get gas on the way to work. And then I was almost to work and my dad called me and told me that like, Hey, did, are you bringing my credit card back? And made me come back and give it to him. That made me late for work. Oh no. I got fired. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So you had a lot on your shoulders at a very young age. Yeah. And not really uh, much in the way of emotional support. Both my parents were pretty checked out, um, you know, not to get too heavy too quickly here. I, you know, I figure it's better to ease me. But what the hell, why not? <laughs> the first time you hold your own mother while she's crying is, that does something to a kid. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so um, I sort of developed later in life um, issues with 
being very desperate for approval and also with being very uh, very skittish around admitting to having money trouble, uh, very skittish around asking for things if I don't think it's something that's owed me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I have a fantastic mother-in-law. Like, uh, my wife, Erin, her mother is Mary Ann. Uh, she basically uh, took me in right out of high school. And I, I actually basically moved out there and lived with Erin and her mom out in a tiny little podunk town, like with 200 people uh, before I went to college. And, uh, you know, she was the one who first encouraged me to seek mental health treatment. Uh, she was uh, the one who... Uh, taught me how to cook and that's been a lifelong passion of mine and I owe that to her Uh, she was yeah Um, and she was also the one who um, you know has always been there both as a financial support but also as an emotional support she very much considers me uh, one of her one of her own Um, you know I've never it's never been an issue uh, with me being transgender it's never been you know, she switched to using uh, my name when I changed my name pretty much immediately. So, you know, it's been, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't be the person I am without her being a really positive and profound adult influence on my life. So it was almost like the other side of the coin that you'd been reading your whole life. Ex- exactly. Yeah. And like, it, it doesn't quite make up for everything. I didn't get it till I was 18, but you know, Mm-hmm. Still, it it gave me something, you know, a really positive role model, someone who I could really aspire to be like. And so, when you got to college, how was that for you? Uh, it had, had its uh, really good moments and really bad moments. I think um, the the freedom of it was also a freedom to uh, explore myself for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was when I realized that I was um, bisexual. Uh, was when I was in the dorms. <laughs> lots of uh, lots of shirtless boys walking around. It was a whole thing. The lacrosse team. Oh boy. Um, no. <laughs> um, it was also when I uh, first started ruining my credit by maxing out a credit card. <laughs> um. Is it just you because know, you didn't was. have any financial like education up to that point and you're kind of winging it? Yeah, exactly. And like, I knew air quotes to, that you had to be careful with credit cards, but you know, I had to do what I had to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I needed, you know, food plans didn't quite stretch enough. Uh, you know, financial aid was all sucked up by living in the dorms. I needed to eat, you know? Mm-hmm. And I sort of relied on on that as well as you know support from Marianne when I could um you know my mom was off doing um, god knows what in California at the time and my dad was uh, he was not in a good place emotionally either um my depression uh comes from his side of the family mm-hmm. uh that's something that has been interesting to uh realize growing up like oh he was in a depressive episode when he was acting like this yeah you know you know, stuff like that. Um, you know, I, I also sort of have a, a personal pet theory that autism runs in the family. Uh, my brother was diagnosed with Asperger's uh, when he was younger. He was also diagnosed with ADHD when he was younger. Um, and 
you know, I kind of have the opinion that I did not receive diagnoses at the uh, around the same time period just because I was better at masking, um, mm-hmm. better at stepping up and playing the role of the like responsible child. Um, but you know, I, I'm actually I didn't bring it up in our initial discussion because it's not a diagnosis, but I'm pretty sure I'm a bit on the autism spectrum and people will dither about ADHD and autism and overlap. But, you know, if you have a Venn diagram, it's kind of a circle. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so that was one, one way that um, I actually struggled a lot in, in college the first time was, uh, and this is where we'll, uh, first bring up, I think our running theme in our discussion is going to be, uh, what's called executive dysfunction, mm-hmm. uh, which, uh, is essentially where there's not a proper connection between like your decision-making part of your brain and your actually do it brain. Like, you know, I could sit here being like, Oh geez, I really need to eat. I really need to go make myself some food. And I just keep sitting there. It's like having to like beg and plead with yourself to move until you get enough, either desperation, adrenaline rush, or someone comes and shakes you out of it to break the inertia. Yeah. Um, Even in things like paying bills, like you can have the money to pay the bills. You just don't actually pay the bill. Just put it yeah. off, put it off. But it's like no reason for it. It makes no sense at all, but that's, exactly. that's what happens. Yeah. Or as happened to me in my uh, English 101 class, you have your final project assignment done. All you have to do is go turn it in and you don't and you don't and you don't. And then you fail the class. Yeah, I've done that before. Yeah, no shit like that. Or um, I mean, but then the flip side is you'll get hyper fixated. And I very much would do that uh, actually at the Arbiter. You know, Mm -hmm. I'd be there just hours and hours and just not go to class. Yeah, I think all of us did that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it, it used to drive Aaron crazy because she'd be like where where are you where you were supposed to meet you know for lunch in the cafeteria like an hour ago I'm like oh I'm still at work what are you doing playing Farmville <laughs> <laughs> nothing important oh, no fa- Farmville is a fucking Skinner box uh, <laughs> that was awful that dates um, you yeah it really does doesn't it it does way back it's like that joke, like, yeah. are you on Facebook? Yeah, I used to, I was here when it was all farmland. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> no, I was super, super susceptible to that sort of just barely spaced out reward because at its core, ADHD is an issue with uh, dopamine mm-hmm. distribution. And I, I know I'm, I'm talking to someone who knows about this, but I'm sort of, uh, you know, for the listeners. No, it's um, interesting. Basically, with, with ADHD, um, your brain uses dopamine. That's sort of the reward chemical. It's what tells, you know, it's your motivation. It's what says, okay, good job, you did the thing. But then also says, hey, we need to do the thing so that we can get some dopamine going in this brain. Um, and it has a lot of other effects. It affects everything. Um, but uh, when you have ADHD, uh, you know, the science is sort of, fuzzy on it I think still but it'll either be you just don't make enough or your brain doesn't utilize it properly or your uh, neural pathways aren't formed properly and so with ADHD medication uh comes in two forms there's the kind of stimulants that are uh, the amphetamine based ones that um increase your production of uh dopamine in the synapse 
And then there's uh, ones that are of the same class as Ritalin, and, and interestingly, also cocaine. Um, <laughs> you know, people say, oh, don't you know Ritalin's just meth? And I'm like, no, it's not. It's coke. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm classy. straight. That's right. <laughs> but um, it works by um, slowing down the reuptake so that when there's dopamine in your neural uh, gaps and your synapses, it's able to be used repeatedly longer before it gets sucked back up into the brain tissue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so what that really leads to with, with ADHD, and I think it's a sort of a one-two punch with depression because depression is a lot of the same sort of mechanism, but with serotonin, your other happiness chemical um, is you'll find yourself just desperately seeking that stimulation that little reward, even if it's actually meaningless um, or, you know, just a good sensation to make your brain feel good. Uh, that's why you end up, uh, why people with ADHD and depression um, have really high rates of drug abuse. Um, or uh, you'll also find that uh, people with ADHD tend to have, um, What's a way to say this? It doesn't sound judgmental because I don't want to sound judgmental about it. But um, lengthy or uh, highly populated sexual histories. Ah, promiscuous. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it can lead to sort of. Um, but then I wouldn't know anything about to, that. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, and it doesn't just lead to uh, you know sexual behavior, but it can also lead to. Um, uh, really impulsive romantic behavior too. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's not just about the the biological, you know, get off, get the good brain juice. You can have addiction to relationships. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but so you'll end up, you know, uh, people will develop video game addictions, um, and you know, basically we're it, it's chasing the dragon and the drugs just your own brain you were born addicted to it not having enough mm-hmm. yeah people often dismiss adhd as like not that big of a deal but for me i have bipolar one and i have adhd and i often have a hard time deciding which is more debilitating um because adhd is a real bitch it really can get in there and mess up your life it, it really is. It, it's, you know, it's cost me three different career paths, thousands and thousands of dollars. And, uh, I've failed out of college twice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's been the one thing that is, uh, a constant or at least recurring, uh, source of friction and conflict in my marriage is the things that get dropped because of ADHD. And Aaron is, you know, fantastically understanding and, and uh, just amazingly patient. And I couldn't ask for a better partner in learning how to navigate this world with my brain being what it is. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's not difficult. You know, especially in, in the early years, you know, it was like, Jamie, why, why didn't you pay the power bill? Oh, God, I don't know. Jamie, why didn't you do the dishes like you said you would? I don't know. And, you know, she's also uh, has chronic illnesses and, uh, you know, has uh, chronic pain. And she's disabled in terms of her uh, energy. So a lot of the, you know, physical labor of the household does fall on me. And sort of the way we split it these days and the way we've adapted to it is she is the executive function. 
And I, basically, she's the brains, I'm the muscle. Hey, it so, works, right? So yeah, and you know, it's it's really important. And I try to remind her of this when she feels like it's doing up that the intellectual and emotional labor of running a household and planning things is a lot, and that all rests on her. I just mm-hmm. follow through on the actions, and you know, you shouldn't. It, it, it's a lot to ask of someone uh, to essentially make sure that, uh, you know, their partner is doing basic things like remembering to shower. Yeah. Brushing your teeth. Yeah. It's like two minutes of pure hell. Every time I do it, people don't understand. (laughs) Oh my God. Yes. And then, and then especially, um, you know, this is a a super tangent. I got hit in the face with a couch when I was like five and so I have oh. a DV, like a partially deviated septum my nose runs backwards and so then I'll be brushing my teeth and then I'll start like gagging on, like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds horrible it is it's the worst it's it's made uh for my job I get uh bi-weekly COVID swabs because I work in healthcare mm-hmm. it's really funny watching the nurses faces when they try to get into my left nostril <laughs> and you're like sorry does not there good luck <laughs> Um, but yeah, um, you know, really a lot of, of where I am now in terms of, uh, coming to, in terms of coming to terms with where my struggles are, it's been a lot of, uh, it's been a lot of unlearning the thinking that internalized my struggles as character flaws. Yeah, me too. Like, you know, I thought of myself as lazy, as flaky, as spacey, as a spaz. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's so much just like banging my head against the wall. Why can't I do this? Why can't I do it? What is wrong with me? You know, the refrain going back. God, so fuck. Can, can I swear? You can swear. Okay. Back to fucking <laughs> kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> was uh you know you're such a bright kid you just need to apply yourself and i'm like fucking tell me about it i, I didn't swear to age five but if you can imagine a little five-year-old <laughs> like fuck right like no it was you know um you know i was the frequently the one of the smartest kids in my classes but never got you know beyond like b grades uh you know when i was um in high school my pattern was i would have an a for like the first eh, three to five weeks of the semester tank you know just downhill slide b c d f hover at an f for until the last two weeks then pull all the crumbled up dirty smashed slightly torn half done homework out of my backpack from the year and just stay up for days doing it all. Yeah. And turn it all in for a partial credit and then pull out with a B. You're speaking my language right now. Yeah. I just got lucky in college because my first semester I took physics and my physics professor noticed that I would get annoyed. Like I couldn't take a test if if someone opens and closed the door, I would get frustrated and I'd have to start all over again and I just like couldn't focus. And so he recommended I go to the um, health center and they diagnosed me with ADHD and I got on medication for the first time and it was like a revelation. 
it was like God, yeah light light from heaven show shining down on me that i had this superpower that everybody else already had it drove me crazy yes. it's like why why did i have to wait why do i have to take medication to be able to do what everybody else already can do but I didn't, I didn't question it. I kicked butt. I got straight A's for the first time in my life. And it was the best feeling ever. Yeah, no, that was very much my experience when I went back to school uh, for a lot of my undergraduate stuff. Um, you know, I, I was working toward a nursing degree and that you basically had to take a whole degree's worth just of prerequisite courses before mm-hmm. you go into the RN program. It's basically a four-year associate's degree. <laughs> and it is to this day, Nursing school is probably the most traumatizing thing I've ever done. Oh man. Like it is it you can ask, you know, so many nurses, especially local ones who graduated from TVCC. Nursing school is hell. Not just for people with uh, you know, who are neurodivergent or have disability. Nursing school is absolute fucking hell. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's boot camp. It's a fire hose of information. You're expected to master all these skills perfectly. You're expected to, um, you know, by year two, you're not only doing full-time schoolwork hours with projects, with papers that's almost entirely self-directed. You're also doing uh, clinical rotation, which is essentially on-the-job training. They basically pair you up with a nurse and say, you're going to be taking care of these patients uh, with the skills that you've learned. Um, and they'll be having you do like, uh, you know, 24 hours a week working the hospital floor. That's where I crashed and burned the second time was in yeah. those clinical rotations. I, I did fine on so. the academics, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, between, you know, the, the coping with stress, you know, it was a level of stress that I've never experienced. It was a level of emotional and mental load that I've never experienced. Um, uh, my coping mechanisms that I had built up to that time weren't quite up to snuff. Uh, I was needing my medications adjusted. I wasn't on a high enough dose of my ADHD at the time because you do sort of tolerance over time. Um, and I failed. And now there's nurses, there's nurses that I work with now. I'm a CNA and there are nurses who were my classmates at the time. And I'll watch them work and be like, I, I like you as a person, but holy fuck, is it unfair that you graduated and I didn't? <laughs> yeah. So, what did you get on medication after that? Um, I, I had adjusted my medication after that. Oh, okay. Uh, I I, w- I got on medication at first when I was like twenty three, mm-hmm. um, somewhere around there, and that that's when I went back to school. It was twenty three, twenty four. And just breeze through all of the undergraduate stuff, all of the you know the communications classes, the math classes, even the anatomy and physiology. I was fantastic at, and that's one that a lot of people struggle with. But it was just um, essentially the self-directedness and the time management, yeah, and just the sheer load of it. Like you know, there's this weird sort of unspoken expectation that if you're in nursing school. You have a spouse filling in to support you. Um, you know, I was, it was a time of really deep financial stress because all I had was my financial aid to rely on uh, because I didn't have time to work. Um, and, you know, you know, Erin also has her mental health struggles, uh, depression. Both of us really struggle with depression and anxiety. And, um, you know, so 
you know, when we're both sharing the emotional stress load, we're both bearing it, we're both worse than usual, and it just gets, it's rough. Uh, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not blaming her for that at, at all, but just, I wasn't able to be the support that she needed. She wasn't able to be the support that I needed, uh, you know, during that time, and essentially it all kind of toppled. You know, I, I don't think I had ever, ever cried harder than that in my life. Mm. And just between the stress and just the massive blow to my sense of self-worth, I'm still recovering from that. Yeah. That's, you know, I, I, that's definitely been one of the main struggles of how my depression manifests is, um, is, is self-worth issues. You know, it's just so easy for me to get trapped in these negative self-talk. Like, God, I'm such a mess. Oh, God, what's wrong with me? Why can't I, you know, all the old things that come bubbling back up. Mm-hmm. Just like this sense of inadequacy, imposter syndrome, you know. Yeah, I still you know, struggle thinking, with oh, that. <laughs> the people in my life deserve better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're a lot alike. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that's, that's why we stayed in touch all these years, is we yeah. really really birds of a feather that way mm-hmm. you know, it, one funny thing is is um is i remember when i was first uh began exploring my gender identity was uh what sort of in between tries at college so i had just recently come out as uh, non-binary um and at this stage i i identified fully as a woman um but at the time i was sort of playing with the in-between space mm-hmm. uh, as it were and, um, uh, but I remember reading, you know, things like, oh, this is how ADHD manifests differently in girls. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's strangely validating. <laughs> it's, it, it was, you know, it's very much, and, you know, actually the same thing with anything that's like talking about autism in girls. I'm like, oh. Oh, that's not normal. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> You're you know, it, it, it's a yeah. But actually, I think one of the the best things for me beyond beyond getting a diagnosis was uh, plugging into the neurodivergent community. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you know, a diagnosis can tell you the clinical facts about what you struggle with. It's it's the other people that make you feel seen. Yeah. Make you feel real. You know, yeah. all the little things like people, you know, running around joking like, yeah, you know, when your fingers brush the bad texture and you just want to astral project into the stratosphere and you're like, yeah, that. No one else gets that. <laughs> right. That's why I have the podcast. Yeah. But yeah, so, you know, I mean, I figure you probably will get to the, do you have any advice for our listeners but at the end because that's how every interview ends. But I'm going to yeah. do it now. Which is, if if you are struggling with, um, you know, a diagnosis of uh, disability or a mental health disorder or a learning disorder, you know, whether it's ADHD or autism or, you know, it's a neurodivergence, you're not broken. You're just wired different. And the world Mm -hmm. is not made to accommodate you. It's made to accommodate the ways that neurotypical people's brains work. And the best thing that I can recommend doing is a just try to be as kind to yourself as you can, and b find other people like you. 
there's whole communities, whether it's Facebook groups, blogs, in-person support groups, or hell, I kind of just accidentally made a friend group where basically all of my closest friends are all autistic anyway. Uh, yeah, when I was first like, hey, I think I might be on the autism spectrum. All of my, like, so many people were like, uh, yeah, you didn't know? <laughs> like, we all kind of assume that you knew if you're one of us. Uh, but just that that support of people who struggle uh but then also find sort of the levity and the humor in it is it's been invaluable that's good advice it's hard to it's hard when you're in the trenches to take it to to kind yeah. of to branch out and and dive into that i guess the internet makes it a lot easier um, yeah you, no, you can honestly, do a lot without having to leave your house yeah, you know, this will work better for I think um, people under thirty, um, yeah. just because of how the how the age groups work. But just go find a meme group or a shit posting page related to your diagnosis. I promise they're out there, and just click follow and laugh at the jokes. That'll It'll, be good for your it, depression too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, no, it's it's been interesting. Um, the my my uh, actual hormonal transition. I've been on uh, hormone replacement therapy, taking estrogen and then taking testosterone blockers for uh, about eighteen months now. And how that's affected the differences in how, particularly, my depression manifests. Um, you know, it, it's much more um, externalized now. Uh, I didn't used to cry ever. Like. And now I'll tear up just at the fucking drop of a hat. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I'm basically going through, I basically catapulted myself back into like the throes of puberty here. Um, but, you know, it just in terms of, I used to be angry and instead I get sad. I used to be, um, you know, withdrawn and instead I'm seeking connection. Uh, and comfort in that way and it's just you know it's been it's been definitely uh, i have to use it's been a journey (laughs) (laughs) there's that word again it's a freaking word again yeah um you know i'm basically learning who i am all over again through this whole process and a lot of that has been unpacking a lot of the mental health stuff that I had sort of shoved down as I just need to handle it and it's not anyone else's problem. Um, You know, I was very much grew up with the um, you're responsible for your own shit. You handle your own shit. You don't make it anyone else's problem. Uh, You know, one thing my parents and also other authority figures have always been on me for is making excuses when you know, I wasn't trying to make an excuse. I was just trying to explain what my thought process or at times lack thereof was. Yeah. And so I grew up being like, okay, I'm not allowed to have reasons for this. I'm not allowed to show these weaknesses. I've got to, to keep that to myself and just fucking deal and, uh, you know, knuckle up. And it's been really, in a lot of ways, it's been in recent months, both a very painful, but also very liberating uh, period of time because I've been really actively diving into the work of unpacking a lot of that. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and you know, it's, I mean, it, to, to use a metaphor, it's like popping a dislocated joint back into place. It hurts like a motherfucker, but yeah, you're glad you did it. That's a good metaphor. As someone who's had a dislocated arm before, elbow, <laughs> that sure does hurt, but it did feel a lot better when it was back. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and I, I feel like that's been a lot of, um, a lot of what where I've been at currently is both unpacking a lot of the baggage that I carried from childhood and oh boy did I underestimate a lot of that and how heavy it was you know mm-hmm. uh, there, there's a joke that goes around it's like you don't realize something was traumatic until you're telling a funny story and everyone's looking at you funny like are you okay <laughs> and you're like are you and you're like why aren't you laughing? It's funny. My dad popped his kneecap out trying to push the car out of a ditch after I rolled it when I was eight years old because he told me to go start it. I turned the e-brake off. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's funny. No. <laughs> no, sweetie. No, that's bad. <laughs> like, oh, me- yeah. You know what? That is a scar. I do hurt from that. Thanks for pointing that out. Well, Jamie, we're just about out of time. We talked right through that. 45 wow. minutes pretty quick. Do you have any final thoughts or anything else to offer before we go? Um, I, I want to say that if you think you might have something, like, you know, oh, you think you're depressed or you think you have ADHD, it is okay to go seek out help. Uh, you know, you don't have to worry about taking resources from people who, you know, air quotes really need it. Uh, you know, that's something that I've felt a lot. Um, I've actually ghosted multiple therapists because I felt like I wasn't fucked up enough. Oh man. <laughs> so I'm about to do try number three here, uh, probably in the next few weeks, but like, oh, I'm actually not, I'm too fucked. I'm not fucked up enough for this. I'm sorry. Goodbye. Which is a weird sort of self-sabotage. Um, you know, I've often used a metaphor that depression is like, it's almost like depression has a mind of it sounds like a parasite. It wants to talk you out of seeking treatment for it. Mm-hmm. That's, but, pretty, but that's you, a pretty good analogy. But you, it's okay. It's okay. Even if you go and they say, well, here's, you know, what this might be instead, you know, maybe you know, you don't have depression, maybe you're having trouble coping with a shitload of stress in your life. But, you know, seeking help can still be beneficial. Um, And, you know, sometimes if that help is medication, it doesn't always work right the first try and you have to try multiple meds. Yeah, you got to stick with it. But but it's okay to grow and change um, in your understanding of yourself. Absolutely. Well, Jamie, thank you for giving me this time today. I really appreciate your perspective and you sharing everything that you did. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Shannon. I appreciate the opportunity. I was kind of blown away when you asked me, like, am I interesting? Are you sure? (laughs) (laughs) There's that creepy depression voice sneaking in. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, Anything else before we sign off? No, no. I, I just wish you the best and I will talk to you on Facebook. All right. We'll be in touch. See you later, Bye. Bye.